And here we go. Um, it was truly a masterpiece. I don't know about all that. Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever. Hands down, bar none, the greatest action spectacular ever. Well, uh, the other one just stuck them up. Are you asking me? I promise I'm not going to sing this time around. Welcome to Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Kavanagh. With me as always, Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film past our present absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other is don't be crazy. Do not be crazy, Zach. It's breakfast time. Is it? No. I like breakfast for dinner. Sometimes I'll have like egg or something. It's good. I like I like pizza in the morning, pizza in the evening, and pizza <laughs> at supper time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like breakfast a lot, too. Breakfast is uh, one of my favorite meals of the day. Oh, I just want to take a nap after I eat it, though. <laughs> I'm always so fucking tired after I eat breakfast. Like, if I went and got, like, a custom Grand Slam from the Denny's there, <laughs> and uh, I got, like, the pancake, and then, you know, like, I am muffin, and... A muffin? <laughs> yeah, like an English muffin. And oh, then I, I was thinking like a blueberry muffin <laughs> or like a biscuit and then like um, something like a hash browns. Oh, my God. I just want to like pass out afterwards. I just want Get out of here, biscuit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I haven't said that in so long. Oh, my God. So terrible. I, I, yeah, I haven't had Denny's in a long time. When I was eating meat, yeah, I'd always get the, the bacon and the sausage and I would get the pancakes and the eggs. I think that's what I typically got for my Grand Slam. Very, very American. I don't really know if I did anything different with it. No fruit. No fruit on my breakfast plate. <laughs> yeah. Save it. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, man, how are you? Good. No complaints. Working hard for the monies. So you it better work hard for you. Yeah. Isn't that how the song goes? Something like that. <laughs> Working hard for the money. <laughs> so hard for it, honey, there. And... Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, man, uh, we're doing another digital event as per the huge. And so just doing some live streams and pimping out all sorts of fun products. Having a good time. Nice. Yeah. Sounds good, man. It's, uh, it's a good time to be busy. How's the weather down there? It's probably pretty warm, isn't it? Uh, it's like 60, 70. It was like 71, I think, today. Not too bad. Oh, well, it's about like 46 here in Seattle. So I'd say that's quite quite a bit warmer than it is here. Yeah, that's nuts. No, it's 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 sixty four right now. Mm. A high of seventy three. If you care, (laughs) I do care. I care about you, and I can't even lie about it. Tell me about it. Oh man! So what have you been watching? Uh, I watched Beverly Hills Cop two finally, and it is so fucking funny. (laughs) So good, dude. Did you hear my voice when when the lawyer was like, no, no, no. Yes. Bitch. Oh, my God. Oh, please come in. Don't let the fact that my door is closed deter you from coming Dissuade you in any way. Oh, yeah. That's so good. No, no. Yeah, no. So good. And then um, I like when he was in the pool and... Uh, I always forget the sergeant's name, but he's like, yeah, come on in. Tiger. I got a swimsuit for you. Yeah, Taggart. Yeah. He's like... Got beers in there. Got orange juice. Got a television. It's so uh, he's like, he's like, he's yeah. like um, yeah. We can't have any right angles on this house. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. They're, oh, this is all wrong. There are right angles on it. So oh, give yourself a hand. You know, it's Miller time. You know, take a break. Take the week off. 
Yeah. Oh God, I love and that then, movie so much. Oh, that's 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 President Gerald Ford over there. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Give him a standing ovation. Yeah. <laughs> Oh uh, no, it, it, it's it's really good. I'm glad I bought it. I'm gonna probably watch it again here uh, one of these days soon, just because I thought it was hilarious. And Do you then, know what I mean um, though by how like the violence was just kind of upped up a little bit? Like it's oh yeah, it's a total like Tony Scott film. Like it's just uh, he just cranked it up to eleven. Man, I love that movie. Yeah, it's it, it is way more violent. It's very much like a Lethal Weapon, where it, it's got some comedy, but it's I mean it's it's heavy. The the kills are pretty intense, and right. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a there's a lot going on there. So, um, but yeah, I watched that and then I watched enemy of the state. I had not seen that movie in a very long time. Um, and I like it. It has a very deep cast of, uh, a lot of people like Scott Kahn is in it. Uh, Jake Busey's in it and a whole bunch of like Jack Black's in it and all that. Uh, but I, Seth I enjoyed Green, the movie. I Seth Green's in it too. Right? Yep. Seth Green is in it. Jamie Kennedy. Um, yeah. Uh, Barry Pepper. We've talked about Barry Pepper from the last episode because he was in Saving Private Ryan. But uh, yeah, I watched that. I watched The Expendables 2 with Jean-Claude Van Damme. And then I watched Ocean's 13. And you're right. Ocean's 13 is excellent. I uh, forgot how good that one was. I really, really enjoyed the plot of that movie and basically uh, rigging it so all the the machines pay out for about three and a half minutes. I thought that was so cool. Um, (laughs) Who's got a magnetron? Everyone empty your pockets. (laughs) His gold Samsung. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I watched, you know, this is funny. I've actually never seen the Blues Brothers, but I watched the Blues Brothers. It's good. I enjoyed it. I wasn't blown away, uh, but I really, I liked it. So yeah, that's a, that's about all I watched though. What about you? Uh, you know, I haven't been really watching a whole lot. I watched Ocean's 13 again. Uh, I watched the day after tomorrow with the Jake Gyllenhaal where he outruns the cold weather and Dennis Quaid wants coffee. He's in it too. I like him. And, uh, I'm a sucker for the Dennis Quaid. His brother's a little bit of a Yahoo, but that's not. Hey, boys, I'm back. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. he's a bit of a spaz. Um, (laughs) I'm Pilot. (laughs) 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 Anyway, uh, watch the after tomorrow. I like that movie. It's fun. I can just admit, I'm, I'm Pilot. Oh, man. One time out of nowhere, Randy Van Dyke from Geek Legacy Podcast, he just said that, and I thought it was the funniest fucking thing I ever heard. <laughs> I couldn't stop laughing. I well, adopted it because of him. Well, it's funny because, I mean, in any context, someone could say that, and I think that I would just laugh, but I bet 95% of the people wouldn't know what it is. Like, what are you talking about? But then if you said, oh, you know, Independence Day, they'd be like, oh, yeah, that part. It's like so all good. drunk and stupid. Uh-oh, yeah. pilot. I'm pilot. <laughs> Bring some coffee. Keep it coming. Oh. Keep it coming. Yeah. yeah. My goodness. Uh, watch that. And then uh, I've been playing a lot of Assassin's Creed Valhalla. And uh, playing it on the, on the brand new Xbox Series X. Damn. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. It's a little glitchy. I am 22, 23 hours into the game. Holy and, shit. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was kind of plugging Jesus away over the weekend. Christ. <laughs> I know, right? And uh, well, I was trying to kind of plow through it so I could make a review it kind of really quick. But yeah, I went online and it says it's like 60 to 80 hours. I'm like, ah, holy God, crap, 60 hours to play a video game. And so and I was hauling ass, dude. Like I was just like slaying everybody and raiding every town I saw, but just going like from point A to point B as quickly as possible to make it happen, Captain. And then. I'm like, man, how long is this game? Because I saw how much of the map I had exposed, you know, because it's kind of covered. 
And then you sort of open up these areas. And then I'm like, shit, I'm nowhere near the, the end of this thing. And then I, I Google how long does it take to beat Assassin's Creed Valhalla? And it's like, yes, but 60 to 80 hours. And I'm just like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> at least, so, uh, yeah, at, at least you get your money's worth for that. An 80 yeah, hour playthrough. That's insane. Yeah, I know. So that's the thing, right? So that's the age old argument, right? It's like, you know, trying to put value on it. And I really don't think that more hours played necessarily equals value for me. Right. Uh, if the story can be told in 20 hours, then great. Uh, that's fine. I don't need I don't need a a 60 hour video game when 20 hours will do. I think it's fun to go back and visit areas that you might have missed while you were doing the campaign and you can have mo- more fun exploring and unlocking stuff. That's fine. But as for the narrative, uh, you know, something like Red Dead 2 Gil, could easily have been 12, 15 hours shorter and I would have thought the game was phenomenal. But instead... But that last 15 hours turned into a chore and it was just kind of irritating for me. There was diminishing returns as it was. And yeah. so that's just where it might take it. If the game takes five hours, then it's five hours. Like the new Call of Duty game, right? All the, the main focus on that is multiplayer anyway. So, I mean, the five-hour campaign was perfect and plenty. And I got my money's worth with that. And so, um, you know, it's it's different for everyone. Sure, there's people that, that soak over 100 hours in like Assassin's Creed Odyssey or you know, Final Fantasy seven or something like that. And that's fine. But if a story can be told in less time, then by all means go that route. Less is more. Yeah. But how are you going to get all that money? Dutch needs more money. Yeah. He, he, he needed the 15 additional hours to get said money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One more job. One Three more money. job. <laughs> get then to we're Tahiti going there. To Tahiti. <laughs> <laughs> i know right Um, so yeah yeah. i mean that's just my i mean at the end of the day i'm having a lot of fun i'm enjoying myself but i would have preferred a shorter campaign but whatever i mean i'm sure i'm sure people are really eating it up and having a blast so yay for them cool well yeah i uh i really want a console i did read a report uh from engadget that said uh that it's most likely there will not be any series x's available uh to buy until about april and it wow. didn't really say why, but I was like, oh, <laughs> I, uh, that that's that might be hogwash. But yeah, it says uh, about April is when they'll be available again. Sure. And that might just be to create like a sense of urgency, like, oh, my God, if you see it, you better buy it because you might not see it again kind of thing. Right. Uh, and that's and that's fine. Whatever. I, I'm enjoying it. I think it's a great console. It's really fast. Uh, the game itself that I'm playing is a little glitchy. There are some problems with it that'll be patched eventually, but it is frustrating when you can't turn in a quest or, uh, you know, it just closes out on you for some random reason. <laughs> so that's happened to me like three times. And mm-hmm. so I'm just like, fuck, hate you, but it'll get fixed eventually. <laughs> well, yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping that Cyberpunk 2077 will not have those issues. It's inevitable for games to have issues, but... I'm really hoping they can iron those out for us since it's been delayed like six times, basically. So. Right, right. Yeah, and it happens. Yeah, I totally. mean, I do, th- I do think that something like Cyberpunk that has been delayed because it needs polish and it needs to do this and needs to do that, give it more time. That uh, your forgiveness uh, threshold on glitches is going to be pretty low. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but whatever. It if that's the thing, like like. Companies that continue to work on the game, excuse me, that continue to work on it, improve it, make it better, 
spot little glitches here and there. And remember that a lot of these games are running on multiple platforms. So because it does it on the PS5 doesn't mean it'll have that same glitch on the Series X or whatever the case may be. So it's just a matter of trying to optimize it for so many different platforms. Definitely complicates things. Yeah. I, I can't so, yeah. begin to imagine how that works, but whatever. This isn't a video game podcast. This is a fucking movie podcast. And we're going to talk about Scott Pilgrim versus the world, which came out in 2010. It came recommended to us by one uh, Gabriel. He is uh, at underscore Gabby Tron on the Twitter there. So give him a follow. You can yell at him if you do not like this movie and you can applaud if you enjoy it because it's all because of him that we watch this. So there's that. <laughs> film was directed by uh, Edgar Wright, who brought us such amazing hits as Hot Fuzz, Nobody Tells Me Nothing, Shaun of the Dead, <laughs> Baby Driver, uh, amongst other things. So there is that. I'm trying to think. The World's End. Yeah, that's the other one. The World's End, mm-hmm. which is probably my least favorite. I don't know if that's fair, right. but that's probably my least favorite. Yeah, no, I agree. That's why I didn't really put it on there. But everyone knows. Everyone knows. Right. <laughs> sure. Uh, the film was direct, or I'm sorry, written by Michael Bacall, who did the screenplay, as well as Edgar Wright. And the graphic novel was actually written by Brian Lee O'Malley, one of them Irish folk. <laughs> He's one of the Boondock Saints. Yeah. Um, let's see. The film stars Michael Sarah, Mary Elizabeth Weinstead, Kieran Culkin, Anna Kendrick, Ellen Wong, Allison Pill, Audrey Plaza, Jason Schwartzman, Johnny Simmons, Mark Weber, Satya Baba, Chris Evans, Brandon Routh, Brie Larson, and Mae Whitman. That's a lot of people. Uh, and I actually like quite a few members of this cast. Um, I think we're both in love with Mary Elizabeth Weinstead. Um, Anna Kendrick is great. This is more of a cameo for her, I think. She's in like two or three scenes tops. Um, well, uh, yeah. I mean, she plays a decent role, though, in it. I mean, as his sister. Really? You think so? Like a couple of phone calls and then that scene at the park and then the one scene at the club. There's like literally three scenes that she's in. Yeah. Whatever, I'd I'm say, not going to argue. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Brandon Rouse, Chris Evans, you know, they're both in the movie for just a few minutes. Uh, Jason Schwartzman, this guy is one of my favorites. Absolutely love everything that he does. Big fan. Big, big fan at Jason Schwartzman. Uh, as far as critical reception goes, uh, mostly positive. You're looking at a whopping 82% on the old Rotten Tomato meter there. And let's see here. Raffer Guzman from Newsday says, it's a fresh, funny, inventive, and unique motion picture show. How about that? Yeah. Tom Charity from CNN.com says, Full of fresh, sharp touches and nonchalantly brash performances, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World consistently hits the sweet spot. So we see the word fresh twice there. This is like uh, something that we haven't really seen before, which I think is um, which is something that is worth noting. Richard uh, Propes from TheIndependentCritic.com says, Easily summer 2010's wildest, most inventive and original comedy. Oh, so there's another one, inventive. Things we haven't seen before. And then you have Michael Saba from Paste Magazine. Sounds made up. Like the special effects, the characters are sketched out in tiresome cinematic shorthand as if to reassure the viewer that this joyride really isn't worth thinking too hard about. Wow. Wow. Sounds like... uh. 
that uh, this person's a bit of a green-eyed monster. (laughs) (laughs) When I see reviews like that, when everyone else thinks something is fresh and inventive and fun, then another person, I mean, it's all subjective, obviously, but, uh, you know, this person sees those things that other people saw as fresh and inventive as tiresome and something that isn't worth thinking too hard about. That's um, two very different takes. Uh, the budget was $60 million opening weekend. It did $10.6 million. That was on August 15th of 2010. And the film grossed $31 million here in the United States. And worldwide, you're looking at $47.6 million. Oof. Didn't do very well. No. Weird. Yeah. Why is that? Hmm. Maybe we'll discuss it in a bit. <laughs> I think I know why. <laughs> yeah. Well, so the four cast members that made up the band Sex Bomb spent several weeks learning how to play together as a band. Mark Weber, Allison Pill, and Johnny Simmons all had to learn their instruments from scratch, while Michael Sarah had to dumb down his bass playing in order to not outshine his bandmates. So, uh, interesting. Did you know Michael Sarah played the bass? I did not know that, no. There's your fun fact for the day. He plays D D D D D D D D D D D. Meanwhile, Brandon Routh is playing like Red Hot Chili Peppers, and Michael Sarah's just like dong 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 dong. To avoid an R rating, the word F U C K said by Envy to Julie had to be bleeped out because Scott Pilgrim calls Todd Ingram a cocky cock earlier in the film. That's interesting. I, I thought that that was funny how they used it. And Aubrey Plaza is a, probably the perfect one for that. Just this kind of, I don't know, morose bitch. She's uh, She does a good job at playing that role. Kim Pine only blinks once during the entire movie. Apart from that, she only breaks her gaze three times. She lowers her eyes twice and has her eyes closed when announcing Sex Bomb for the last time. Uh, the band Crash and the Boys is named after an NES Game Boy game called Crash, Crash in the Boys Street Challenge. Did you know that? I don't think so, no. No. <laughs> but is he the one where he's like, we're going to, you know, the song's about, you know, <laughs> hating ourselves or some shit like that. <laughs> it made me laugh. Crash, they're like, this song is called I Am So Sad. I Am So Very, Very Sad. It goes like this. And then <laughs> play like five chords and it goes, thank you. And Wallace says, it's not a race, guys. Crash goes, okay, <laughs> this, ne- this next song goes out to the guy who keeps yelling from the balcony. It's called We Hate You. Please die. <laughs> he goes, sweet, I love this song. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. I thought that was really funny, but yeah, I was crashing the boys. It was based off a video game. So, cool. what? What you know about that? Um, cool. All right. So in Toronto, twenty-two-year-old Scott Pilgrim is a bassist for the unsuccessful garage band Sex Bomb. He's dating Knives Chow, a seventeen-year-old high school student, to the disapproval of his friends in the in the band, his roommate Wallace Wells, and his younger sister Stacy Pilgrim. Scott meets an American Amazon.ca delivery girl, Ramona Flowers, after having first seen her in a dream. He loses interest in knives, but does not break up with her before pursuing Ramona. When Sex Bomb plays in the Battle of the Bands, sponsored by record executive Gideon Graves, Scott is attacked by Ramona's ex-boyfriend, Matthew Patel. Scott defeats Patel and learns that in order to date Ramona, he must defeat her remaining six evil exes. Scott finally breaks up with Knives, who blames Ramona and swears to win him back. Meanwhile, Scott proceeds to get attacked by and defeats the next three of Ramona's exes. Hollywood actor and skateboarder Lucas Lee, superpowered vegan Todd Ingram, and lesbian ninja Ro- Roxy Richter, while also confronting his own ex, pop star Envy Adams. 
However, Scott grows frustrated during the process, and after an outburst regarding Ramona's dating history, she breaks up with him. At the next Battle of the Bands, Sex Babom defeats Ramona's fifth and sixth evil exes, Kyle and Ken Katayanagi, earning Scott an extra life. Despite this, Ramona appears to get back with her seventh evil ex, Gideon. Sex Babom accepts Gideon's record deal, except for Scott, who quits the band in protest. Gideon invites Scott to his venue, the Chaos Theater, where Sex Babom is playing. Resolving to win Ramona back, Scott challenges Gideon to a fight for her affection, earning the power of love sword. That's the power of love. <laughs> Knives, <laughs> Knives interrupts the battle, attacking Ramona, and, and Scott is forced to reveal that he cheated on both of them. Gideon kills Scott, and Ramona visits him in limbo to reveal that Gideon has implanted her with a mind control chip. Scott uses his one-up life and re-enters the Chaos Theater. He makes peace with his friends and challenges Gideon again, this time for himself, gaining the power of self-respect sword. After apologizing to Ramona and Knives for cheating on them and accepting his own faults, Scott and Knives join forces to defeat Gideon. Free from Gideon's control, Ramona prepares to leave. Knives accepts that her relationship with Scott is over, and at her encouragement, he leaves with Ramona to try again. So, Justin, when did you first see Scott Pilgrim versus the World, and what did you think? Sure. Uh, I saw it opening weekend, uh, just before I moved out to Seattle, actually. The weekend before I moved to Seattle. And I enjoyed it. I mean, I wasn't like, I wasn't blown away, like, oh my god, it's the greatest movie ever. But um, I thought it was fun, and unlike anything I had seen that I could think of at the time, <laughs> I was like, wow, this movie's nuts. And, and it's the little stuff, too. Like, when he holds up the little sign at the party, like, have you seen a girl that looks like this? It's <laughs> <laughs> like the worst drawing ever. And the guy's like, yeah, it's Ramona Flowers. I love that here. part. Yeah. yeah. Like, stuff like that just really makes me laugh. Like, it's the, it's, it's kind of like the offbeat comments that I always pull from when it comes to those movies. And uh, I think this movie is just loaded with fun dialogue that you might not even pick up the first time you see it. Exactly. I think it's very rewatchable. Exactly. I think you hit the you hit the nail on the head on that one. And I, it's interesting how this movie was a box office bomb uh, because it, bomb. I, I, bomb. it was is a uh, <laughs> sex bomb. <laughs> I, I, I definitely um, didn't really appreciate it when I first saw it. I don't remember exactly when I first saw it, but I do know that one of my good friends, Blake, really loves this movie. And close to about 10 years ago, I remember watching it. But I don't think that that was... Yeah, that was probably around the first time I saw it then. So, yeah, around 2010, 2011. But I enjoyed it. I wasn't as obsessed with it as he was. Um, but then I, you know, this time around viewing it, I just realized how much I absolutely love this movie. Um, I just really like Edgar Wright a lot as well. But something about it, like you're saying with the timing, the pacing, the, the dialogue, it's so funny and picking up on the things that you might have missed before because it's it's just so quick. Uh, that's how Edgar Wright movies are. Like Hot Fuzz, I could watch multiple times just to pick up things, right? Same with Shaun of the Dead. It's it's so, so good. But right. uh, yeah. I know how we don't like to make comparisons on this podcast, but I think, uh, I think Edgar Wright is for a lot of people what Tarantino was for me. So like sure. when I was a teenager, I had never seen a movie like Pulp Fiction before, Reservoir Dogs. And so... When I saw that, I instantly became a fan and I wanted to soak up everything that they ever did. And I could easily see myself if I was in my teens or early 20s when Edgar Wright was making his, um, you know, his waves in Hollywood. I'd be like, oh, my God, this guy's it, man. He's he knows how to make a fucking movie. 
And, um, and I think it just connects with a lot of people that way. I think one of the problems with one of the reasons why this was a bomb was I don't, I don't think the world is convinced that Michael Sarah is a box office draw. Right. And he's, he's kind of an interesting looking character. He kind of plays the same person in a lot of his roles. And so maybe if you substituted somebody else in that role, then maybe it would have gotten more. I don't know if it would have been better, um, but um I think more people might have went and saw it. Yeah, and that's really interesting uh, because I really think he nailed this role, and I don't, I can't picture anybody else doing it just because he has that awkwardness, and we saw that on Arrested Development. You see it in in Superbad, where it's innocence, but he also just creates this awkward confidence, if that makes any sense. And we we just yeah. seen it a thousand times already with Arrested Development, with right uh, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, with Juno uh, the, and Juno. Yeah, he's the same character in like all of those, and it's it's a shame too because he's really good at that character. But it's a shame that this one elevates him to a whole nother level, to where it's right. it's Michael Sarah that just you know went through a warp level and now he's super mega Michael Sarah. And it's just unfortunate that we didn't get this first, I guess. Yeah, no, I agree. So, um, yeah, that brings me to my first point then. Um, so this movie, it it can be criticized as childish or maybe over the top, uh, and very, very cartoonish on your first viewing. So if I were to show this to somebody who wasn't familiar with, uh, Scott Pilgrim, they might compare it to um, like Speed Racer, the live adaptation of Speed Racer. So much akin to Speed Racer's source source material being a cartoon, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World's source material is a graphic novel, uh, which is highly inspired by video games. Is there a specific formula that a comic book movie needs to follow in order to be successful? Um, Did you like the style or did it annoy you for this movie? Uh, so I I really liked the style. I thought it was fun. Just the little things like coins, like when yeah, died, they became coins. I thought that was weird. I was <laughs> He's like, like All right, whatever. change. So, yeah, I'm into it. Um, <laughs> because like that was something like I had never seen. I was like, well, that guy just exploded into a bunch of coins. Um, and then just I think like when he jumps through the window, like when Ramona Flowers shows up, and she's like this guy here. He's like, oh, he's not here. And, uh, yeah. He just jumps, he leaps out the window. First, he like hides behind the door. They leaps out the window and, and they're looking at each other and she's kind of figuring out what's going on. He's like, oh, he just left, you know, like, he's yeah. not lying, but uh, like that kind of timing, I think is just superb. And, yeah. but it's also highly, you know, implausible. Like that's not something that normally happens. And so I think that this particular movie did a really good job of adapting that source material Whereas something like, you know, X-Men or Iron Man, something that's a little bit more grounded in reality in a way, um, you know, they had to, there's a definitely a delicate balance. But like to talk about Iron Man, though, that comic book fucking sucked for decades. Yeah. And then Robert Downey Jr. made it cool. And so now when you read an Iron Man comic book, you see Robert Downey Jr. You don't see, you know, this version of Tony Stark or whatever. So, I mean... It's really hard to say. I, I think it's a formula that that is really hard to crack and it's it's not it doesn't work on everything. But like something like Blade, right? I didn't even mm-hmm. know that was a comic book the first time I saw it. I was just like, holy shit, this is like one of the coolest vampire movies ever made. And then someone's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a comic book too. And I'm like, get the fuck out of here. No way, you know? And so I can't. <laughs> it's oh yeah, exactly. No, I cannot. Um, I cannot. <laughs> the um 
that's just it, right? Because maybe, maybe if you don't know, like maybe just playing a trick on your brain, if you didn't know that this was the source material was a comic book, uh, that might play tricks on you, which mm-hmm. I think is I think is fair. I think the second some an audience member knows that the source material is a comic book, some sort of switch gets flipped in their brain to where they don't know what to make of it or they make up the assumption before they even watch it on whether they're going to like it. Well, I think we all think that <laughs> video, video game movies and comic book references are fun risks, but <laughs> um, when it's, it, it, they're fun risks when they're done right. And speed racer, like we talked about before the, one of the lost episodes that we had um, that style fits so well because we're watching a adaptation of a cartoon, which is already over the top. So things like Dragon Ball Z, if you were to make that into a legit live action remake, you got to make it crazy and over the top, just how you would make like Speed Racer. So I think um, using the style they did for this film was so great. It created this this fun and this real smart style that we don't typically see in uh, heroic journey films. And I think that the content of this film uses style to advance to advance and like even enhance the plot to just make it better but um i mean the the speed was really great too like so you're talking about timing the speed of the film it's it's jarring at times and it's jarring for people who aren't really accustomed to it but uh things like that's a good example so he uses a lot of shot reverse shot but he places these fun transitions in between those shots and uh he usually has some sort of sound effect go with it so it it really helps the the film flow well for the viewers to feel more engaged. And he uses a lot of um, matching scene transitions. So, for example, when Wallace comes home drunk and he's talking to Scott and he's like texting on his phone and Scott and him are there and they fall asleep. And then the very next scene we see, the scene doesn't even change. It's just now it's daytime and Wallace hasn't moved, but Scott has gone from the bed. Uh, I think those transitions are so fun because... It obviously shows the passage of time, but in a really creative way. And, uh, you know, it, it forces you to pay attention as a viewer, just like a video game. So, right. and, yeah, it keeps you know, engaged. Yeah, exactly. So, like with video games, you know, you have to pay attention. Otherwise, you die. Otherwise, you don't right. get enough money. And, like, you know, just I think just like the art house movie going experience would be two people getting ready for bed, getting into the bed. And then laying there and then getting out of the bed. Like, what exactly? Like, that's that's not a movie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I applaud your your wallet spending abilities and purchasing film, but this is not good. (laughs) Whoop de doo, Basil. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's all something that we've seen before. So, Edgar Wright is fantastic at just sort of reinventing the wheel. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, l- let's uh, let's talk about style more. Um, so, in my opinion, I think Edgar Wright's films are some of the tightest examples of rhythm editing, transition, structure, and dialogue. Uh, what are some of your favorite moments from any of his films, if you have any? And then, uh, did you discover any new top moments from watching Scott Pilgrim? Um, yeah. So, I, I think Hot Fuzz is probably loaded with the most. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just them getting ready for work or something as simple as him just drinking out of a cup. You know, everything is exciting in Hot Fuzz. doesn't matter what it is. And, you know, it's in this small, tiny little town, but it seems like this giant adventure action spectacular is happening no matter what is go- whatever's going on in the scene. And 
just like him leaping over the fence and leaping over the other fence, and leaping <laughs> over the other fence and trampoline. And then when when Nick Frost goes and does it, just run straight. <laughs> like that's the funniest goddamn thing I've ever seen. And so, like I respond really well to stuff like that. I love physical humor, and it's so hard to do. And and I think that Edgar Wright just has a way of just capturing it. It's so nuts how that works. And this movie had a lot of physical humor in it too. And um, and and it's mixed in with musical instruments and fight scenes and it's things that you've literally never seen before you've seen them in video games but you haven't seen it in movies and it's it's literally like watching a video game and it's so cool how it's done and just the music the coin chimes the the power-up sounds everything that's so exactly and it's (laughs) all stuff like like auditory wise you're very familiar with Mm -hmm. but seeing it in a movie it seems foreign but at the same time it just works because you're so like used to those those sounds and i i don't i honestly like when i was re-watching it again because i hadn't seen it it's been almost 10 years since i've seen it uh this was my third viewing i watched it when it was in theaters and i watched it when it came out uh available to like rent and then i hadn't seen it since and so um it was just like reliving this new experience again and I, I couldn't believe how funny it was yeah I, I i was paying more attention because he was more purposeful with those yeah you know like the finish him and the ko's and all that kind right. of stuff it, it made way more sense and it was kind of those blink and you miss it moments but uh yeah it was it was definitely definitely appreciated in this film and like when when brandon routh like knocks him through the brick wall and yeah. then he he walks up to the giant hole in the wall but then comes comes through the door. <laughs> yeah, it's so stupid. <laughs> so I can't stop laughing. But I'm the asshole that laughs every time that there's no fence, but there's a gate, and someone walks through the gate. I, I will know. always laugh at that. I think that is the funniest thing ever. <laughs> Cracks me up. I mean, along the lines of, of like the Zemeckis brothers too. When you have, um, you know, like the Naked Gun films or Airplane, that kind of comedy is so great. That physical comedy, it's it's stupid and it's kind of childish. But I laugh every goddamn time I see things like that. Yeah, and, totally. and uh, yeah. So I mean, I think Edgar Wright, he's just in this class of his own when it comes to visual comedy and editing. And I think he takes mundane scenes and he just reinvents them, like you were saying, he reinvents the wheel. Uh, but he uses creative staging and I sent you this really awesome video from uh, every frame of painting that kind of talks about it and how he fully uses the frame to immerse uh, the viewer. So like certain comedies rely on actors to improv and to set up a scene where it's just back and forth dialogue. But what Edgar Wright does is he doesn't necessarily uh, use their comedic timing or use their uh, improv, I should say, he has it all set up for them. So it's kind of like a ballet, like you're watching this thing go back and forth. And it's, uh, it's, it's so cool to see, and it just pays off so much. And hot fuzz is a fantastic example. I mean, that's, that movie gets better and better with each viewing. (laughs) It's one of of the best movies ever made, dude. It really, it it really is. And I, I, I laugh just thinking about it, just thinking of, of stupid parts, like, (laughs) (laughs) I still do that to this day. Oh Oh my God. It's so great. And fuck ugly. Oh Oh yeah. He's fuck ugly. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so a really good example from Hot Fuzz where Edgar Wright uh, just uses this uh, visual comedy. Um, he, he wants to show the passage, passage of time. So 
in typical movies, we see these wide pans, these aerial shots, uh, music playing, landmarks. It's like now entering Boston. And you're like, okay, cool. I see my my character went from New York to Boston in a span of 30 to 40 seconds or whatever. And I'm supposed to be along for the ride. Um, so those are just kind of boring, like like you were saying with the bedtime scenes. But, uh, you know, in... In, in Hot Fuzz, when Nicholas travels from London to uh, Sanford, we get a maybe 15 second clip where it just shows taxi and then it's just a whole bunch of little blurbs of what's going on. But it's happening so fast and it's so tight. Uh, we're almost tricked into thinking he he's barely moved just because, right. you know, his his, his attire, uh, the, like what he's wearing, the props, his facial expressions, they're not really changing. We get the shot of the cell phone to show now he's in service. Boom. Now he's not in, in service. So clearly he's gone far. And in a span of 15 seconds, you accomplish what you could accomplish in a minute. And in, in a way funnier and uh, brilliantly packaged uh, method. And I think it's so, so cool. But, uh, you know, what he does is he focuses on those changing surroundings by using transitions with with diegetic sound, with quick cuts and with situational close ups to convey how each character is traveling, basically. So it's it's just it's purposely done in this way that is is so funny and it's fucking brilliant. And I love your what you were saying earlier, where he's kind of the some people's Tarantino. And and I wholeheartedly agree. I um I think it was great. But. Do you um do you remember in Shaun, Shaun of the Dead when uh, he's watching the TV at the beginning and he's flipping through the channels and it's explaining what's going on in London? Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so so yeah, it, he's like he has it on the news and then it's like breakouts are occurring and he turns it to soccer and it's like all over London or something like right. that and all these things are happening. The phrasing uh, thought, just continues the sentence basically. Exactly. Yeah, I thought that that was so funny and so creative. <laughs> So for top moments for me, I really think that uh, Baby Driver, I don't know if you've seen it or not. I really loved the opening car chase. I thought it was so fantastic and I enjoyed every second of it. Uh, the final showdown in Hot Fuzz with uh, the officers when they go to the grocery store, um, you know, Freeze of the Ginger Nuts gets it. That stuff was hilarious. Um, the Shaun of the Dead scene when they t- he talks about the plan. I think that's really cool. He's like, we'll go back to whatever her name's house, have a cup of tea and let this all blow over. I think that part's awesome. And then uh, the vegan police I really liked for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and it's fucking Thomas Jane. Thomas and, Jane. And Step from yeah. uh, Extract. Yeah, he's um, Thomas Jane wearing his shoes. That motherfucker. <laughs> 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 the vegan police. The vegan the chicken's police. not vegan? Yeah. He had, a, he had a chicken parmesan. He's like, chicken's not vegan. <laughs> That's pretty good. So, um, you know, Justin, we all know that you are the human jukebox that uh, that loves good music. And he's got, uh, you know, your perfect blend of Jesus mixed with Fergie. But um, I think, <laughs> yeah. Music, I don't know about all that. <laughs> music, it's a central plot point in this film and also factors into a lot of other Edgar Wright films. Did you enjoy the soundtrack? Um, how do you think the diegetic music enhanced the movie? Uh, and then what about the non-diegetic score? Also, fun little fact, did you notice a lot of the Nintendo-themed songs in this? Yeah, I, I mean, I picked up on a lot of the Nintendo stuff, um, but I couldn't identify it as I was watching. There's too much shit going on. But uh, <laughs> yeah. the music itself is, uh, is really fun. Um, I think that, I mean, like, I love, like, punk music and sort of the the battle of the bands vibe that they kind of have going on uh, throughout the movie uh, is something that really resonates with me. But the, 
the song that Brie Larson sings, um, "Black Sheep," oh, is yeah. actually done by uh, Metric. Metric, and yeah, yeah, they're they're, they're great. Yeah. yeah, they're Canadian band. Um, I have a lot of their stuff, but yeah, it's it's great music. I love every second of it. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, it's 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 a huge part of the the film, right? You know, it drives the plot. It's the Battle of the Bands is a big part of it. Uh, Gideon's the record producer, all that kind of stuff. Right. And when they sell out, it's, I mean, it's so funny because like all these bands, it's like so cliche because you're like, yeah, we're going to win Battle of the Bands. We're going to be famous. And then when you win, then you become sellouts. And then you're everything <laughs> that all your music has been against for like the last 10 years. Yeah. And it's like, what, dude, you've been... Tr- it, it always cracks me up about the whole sellout concept because it's like, uh, I think that when it comes to an, an artist and writing music or writing books or whatever the case may be, uh, some of your best stuff comes when you're most vulnerable and your audience, your readers, your listeners, whomever, you know, they we're all humans. We've all gone through horrible things and we've all, you know, experienced something that was terrible and it's through your music or your words that we're able to relate to you. And so the idea of selling out and, and getting your music out there for everyone to enjoy just always blows me away. I think it's such garbage. But um, I mean, I understand if a studio is changing your music or forcing you to do this or forcing you to do that, that's different. But I mean, I think just the very idea of, of selling whatever, 10 million records, Right. Notice I said records. Um, yeah. <laughs> 10, 10 million downloads. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's a powerful thing. I mean, that yeah. means so many people are, your music is resonating with so many people. So just, it always cracks me up in that whole mentality of, yeah, we're going to win battle the bands and then we're going to be angry that we're fucking famous now. And <laughs> yeah, it's uh, a problem. <laughs> They're edgy, bro. That's, yeah. they have to be edgy armo. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> So some of the, um, the the diegetic sound that he used in this were were, were really cool because he used them, uh, Edgar Wright, he used them to accompany his uh, transitional wipes between different scenes. So like the date scene uh, towards Star the wipe? beginning. Star wipe, yeah. <laughs> T- towards, towards the beginning when Knives and Scott are going around from like the arcade to the thrift store to the record shop. Uh, how he uses like a wipe across the screen uh, he has a person maybe walk in front and then you hear like a cash register, uh, you know, ding or whatever. Yeah. And then Cha-ching. the next one. Yeah. 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 There you go. And then you're in the, the record store and uh, same thing. Someone like walks in front, but then you hear uh, like the, the beeping of the door when you walk through the door, the beep and um, all that kind of fun stuff is, is, is really cool in it. And same thing at the party scene. You hear a lot of that too. Uh, I loved his, his, uh, timing i guess this would have been the non-diegetic but when um what's her name Uh, allison pill's character the drummer she when they're talking about uh oh kim yeah he's like you know you dated kim or whatever and she's just staring at him and it's it's doing that almost like psycho theme it's like yeah (laughs) (laughs) i thought that was really great he's he he does everything he's just just a terrible person yeah i mean he doesn't he doesn't put other people's feelings in front of his He's yes. just living his own life in his own world, and he is oblivious. He has, uh, I think, self-awareness <laughs> is, is lacking oh, in yeah. Scott Pilgrim. Yes, totally. But uh, I think I think the music was really fun, and I mean, I, I really enjoyed that uh, that double dragon-esque battle between him and the uh, Katayanagi uh, brothers when mm-hmm. they, had the, they had the dragons, and then Sex Bomb had the 
whatever it was, the Yeti, and it was fighting. I thought that was really fun. So obviously that was, you know, based off of music, but right. yeah. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I feel this movie was made for, for folks like you, Mr. Cavender. I think that the, the graphic novel and the film are greatly influenced by, by video games. I mean, I don't think that I know they are, but, uh, with a central plot plot focusing on video game style fighting. So very much, uh, like a, like a Tekken or a Mortal Kombat. What were your thoughts on how they, um, kind of focused on these video game style fights? Did you have any specific references you really enjoyed in the film? Uh, to video games and then uh what about some that you maybe didn't like um I, so you know when it came to like their fighting styles and all that stuff uh, i didn't really interpret any particular fighting style to any like specific game or anything like that uh, i just thought it was very much just like on theme with just a zany film you know like i, I as soon as i heard like the coin sounds there's a few minutes into this movie where you just kind of you realize, okay, that's what this this movie's going for, <laughs> and right. it, you know, it, it wasn't like it was a surprise that all of a sudden this guy rained coins. So I was just like, all right, that's kind of cool. <laughs> I just kind of <laughs> bought into it. I'm like, all right, whatever, it's fucking weird. Um, but I, I went along with it, and so I think that's one of the cool things about Edgar Wright and how he's able to just kind of bring us into this world, and it just for whatever reason it just makes sense, and it doesn't matter if it's Shaun of the Dead or. Um, hot fuzz and i think one of the reasons why i didn't connect with uh at world's end is because i didn't get any of that from that movie you know what i mean like i was never immersed in at world's end and sometimes it's even hard for me to remember the title of that movie which is weird yeah Um, (laughs) i just kind of wrote it off which is strange i feel bad about that but um i think uh i really like the concept of of points and extra lives and getting like the random sword and the power ups. Yeah. Um, all that stuff just kind of made sense. And then cheesing things, right? So if you, if there's a boss that's too hard, you look for an exploit to make it easy. So like when he's fighting Chris Evans character, who's like this super extreme movie star guy that can skateboard and do all kinds of cool shit. He beats him kind of at his own game. Yeah. You know, he's like, well, you can't do it or whatever. <laughs> you know, shows this crazy grind. He's like, can you do a thingy off that rail? He's like, it's called a grind, you know? And then he's, <laughs> yeah. it shows that these ridiculous stairs with all the snow and how windy it is and just complete and utter death and danger is is what these stairs represent. And he's like, well, if you can't do it or whatever, you know? And then he's like, fine. So then he jumps <laughs> on he does, and then he loses, right? He dies, he explodes. And it's like, that's exactly how a video game would work, where mm-hmm. this boss is too goddamn hard. There's no way you're going to beat it. So how do you beat it? You find uh, an exploit to to cheese the fight, which is exactly yeah. what he did. Yeah. So or like the putting the creamer in the coffee. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, for the vegan. <laughs> that's so great. And um, I don't know. I just I think that that's that's funny right and so like yeah you put in the cream of the coffee that's totally it's like using a weakness right like in rpgs if it's a, a water monster you use whatever like lightning or some shit and if it's a fire monster you use water so i mean it's just kind of using uh tools to your advantage to win those fights absolutely I think that's great yeah uh, as far as far as anything like I, I i didn't like or whatever um i was actually kind of turned off by the do-over like the extra life where he got to do the final fight again. I mean, I realize that it makes sense, but I was pretty much ready for the movie to be over. I wanted him to defeat Gideon and it just be done rather than I, I'm always kind of, I don't know why it turns me off, but when I got to rewatch a scene again, 
I'm always kind of taken out of it a little bit the second watch through. Does oh. that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why I am that way, but it's just it's always bothered me. I liked the the one up thing. I thought that that was uh, creative. I enjoyed it, but I get what you, I get what you're saying a little bit. So, you know, I and and I also like video games a lot. And but I think that this movie for me, like I was saying, it took a couple of viewings for me to really fully love it. And I, I think that the jokes are just very, very smart. And I think this is a very smart film, actually. Um, but it can be a sensory overload at first because you're like, what the hell is going on? So, if, again, if I had never seen this movie, I would have just been like, what is going on on my first viewing? But uh, since I do know video game references, I I really enjoyed that. And so, like, I, I, I heard Zelda's theme in there. Uh, the fighting games, just the whole, um, I guess, what would you call that? Almost like a 2D uh, representation where it's just fighter v fighter. And then uh, the one up, yeah, the one up extra life was really cool. I, I, I fully enjoyed everything about that. Um, but uh, in terms of specific references for video game stuff, I liked the opening 8-bit universal logo. I thought that that was really cool. Um, anytime it would say KO, you're, like you were saying, the coins, the coin dropping was so cool. And then uh, the Nega Scott was really funny because I thought that 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 instantly reminded me of like, yeah, of like a Street Fighter or something. Uh, what Evil X did you enjoy the most and what fight did you enjoy the most? Um, I like. So I, I think Chris Evans was great. Like when he beats the shit out of him when he first sees him, he's like, what's yeah. up? He seems nice. <laughs> I really like that. I liked, uh, what was it, Matthew Patel? So his name is? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's like, uh, just starting all kinds of shit with him. And he's like, what is this all about? Like, what is happening right now? And he's like, didn't you read my email? Like, I, I fucking love that. I think that's so funny. And then uh, Gideon. I, I just can't say enough good stuff about Jason Schwartzman. I think he is so funny and I just I really enjoy his movies and every part that he plays. I don't know if you ever watched Bored to Death on HBO, but he is so funny in that show. He plays like this, this unlicensed private detective and he's just terrible at his job. And it's really, really funny and it's enjoyable and you should check it out. It is available on HBO and um, he's just really good. And um, I like how he just has this pretentious way about him and when he's chewing his gum and his cool little suit and he's like, I'm what's hip right now. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> he's got his dumb glasses. <laughs> oh my God. And it's always like close ups on him, which I thought was really funny. Um, Gideon gets a lot of close ups because mm-hmm. he's like kind of just like have an eye in a course with Scott Pilgrim for a bulk of his scenes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I think Lucas Lee was uh, was cool. I like uh, the, the fight with his stunt doubles. I thought that that was really neat because it was just an onslaught of skateboarding stunt doubles that Scott right. had to fight. So, um, yeah, I enjoyed that one. But uh, e- even though this movie is a ridiculous over the top comedy, it really hits on some important aspects uh, in, in, in the dating world. Scott is clearly not over his breakup, which leads him to constantly worry about, you know, messing up in front of Ramona or ruining things with Ramona. His relationship to Knives is also clearly a rebound, and everyone tells him that. It isn't until the end when we poignantly see Scott learn the power of self-respect. Scott gets over his past, he makes amends with his friends, and realizes that his happiness is not dictated by others. Do you agree? Were you surprised at how smart this movie was? Yeah, I, th- I think that that's just part of growing up. Sometimes it just takes longer for others. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, 
it's one of those things where we talked about it. Like he just has no, you know, he's not a very self-aware person. And so um, I think it's just, if it took losing everything, which is, I mean, it's cliche in, in its own way to, he had to lose everything to realize what he had. And I think that that's important. And hopefully you don't have to go through something like that to get that lesson in life. Uh, hopefully you're smarter than the average bear and you can figure that out sooner than the rest of us. But um, I, I do think that, um, you know, having the self-respect will go a long way. It just takes just an act of Congress to get that sometimes, you know, it's just one of those things where some people learn it early in life and other people's learn, learn it much, much later. But in the case of Scott Pilgrim, I mean, look at his, all the destruction he left in his wake uh, before he figured that out. I mean, it's, it's a 90 minute movie of people getting their feelings hurt and not being listened to and not being respected until the very end when he finally figures it out. He literally right. has to apologize to everyone that's in his life before he's able to move on. And that's right. that's a big deal. I mean, it's a comedy and you're laughing the whole time, but at the end of the day, Scott Pilgrim's a piece of shit, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. Yeah. So, I, I, was, I was really surprised with how thoughtful this movie was. And I think that it, it's funny about the exes, because aside from just being cannon fodder and just comedy, uh, they they existed solely to control her love life. And so I think that that was like a metaphor about she's always going to have these these points in her life that she just can't let go. So these are these metaphorical exes. And I think we all have that where maybe we hold on to the past. And I think you see that a lot with Scott where he can't get over envy. He is trying so hard to get over envy. So he starts dating a substantially younger girl than he is when everyone is like, dude, what are you doing? We all know this is a rebound. You're being an idiot and you're not treating her her right. And so it's um, it's it's fascinating because uh, th those exes that Ramona has don't control her until you have Gideon actually like physically controlling her, which I thought that was pretty funny, but, uh, right. Yeah. Through a chip. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it, we just can't let our, our, our past mistakes dictate our, f our future and we can learn from those mistakes, but we have to learn how to, how to defeat the things that, that are holding us back. We have to, to, to build from them. Like you talked about slaying the dragon last week. We, that's what we have to do is, is move on beyond that. And we all have baggage. Everyone does. So it, it's not something that we can fault each other for like our partners for. Um, and Ramona learns the error in her ways and reflects on how she mistreated her exes. And Scott does the exact same thing. So I think that it, this is a very, very thought provoking film. And I was so surprised on how it hit for, for all these different notes that, that we've been through in a relationship. But, right. And even, even the, um, the ex girlfriend, you know, she, she keeps correcting him. Like she says, evil exes. He's yeah. like, yeah, why do you keep saying that? <laughs> um, yeah. But I mean, even for her, uh, she says, Ramona Flowers was like, oh, it's just a, it was just a phase, you know, it didn't mean anything. And it's like, how mean is that of a thing yeah, to say? That's Poor true. Roxy, you know, like, so I mean, they're, they're kind of made for each other. They're both kind of in that world where they're not, she is kind of the opposite to where she's not giving these other people uh, a second thought, whereas to her it meant nothing. Whereas with Scott, he's just kind of like, you know, he's so devastated by uh, envy that he's treating other people bad right um but i mean he could easily be an evil ex down the line too you know scott pilgrim as the genetic makeup of being a terrible person 
And he could easily end up being one of these evil exes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Ramona even says that when they like they break up a little bit after the uh, at like the ice bar or whatever it is. I don't know what that place is. But uh, yeah, you know, she's like, you're you, you've always been an evil ex or something. I should have I should have known. And I was like, oh, man, it's a bummer. But yeah. you, I mean, you're right. He's he wasn't the nicest dude. So I felt I did feel bad when Ramona was explaining how she went from uh, Lucas Lee. She dated him briefly and then went over to Todd and how she even said she's like, I, I left Lucas for Todd and it, I felt bad about it. And I was like, oh, man, no wonder Lucas would be pissed. So it um, you're not good, but right. Yeah. Um, yeah. OK, so then so what do you think about? what well i mean this this kind of answers itself too because we've been talking about this but what do you think about scott you could argue that he's actually kind of a dick uh he cheats on knives he puts his own needs in front of anything else he freeloads off of wallace and he doesn't even respect himself how would this ending have worked for you if scott was left with nothing so like for example if he was now one of the evil exes how would it have worked for you i mean i, I think i would have been cool with it because i mean not necessarily him being an evil ex but um it's not until the very like last like 10 seconds that he goes and and holds hands with um, Ramona flowers. So, I mean, up until that final 10 seconds, I was okay with him getting nothing, you know, coming to terms with reality and growing up and realizing the kind of person he wants to be uh, was enough. I don't think he necessarily needed to end up with the girl. I felt I did feel for him in a certain way because I, I know how it feels to kind of struggle through a breakup. I think everyone does. But uh, but regardless, he he was wrong. He was wrong for cheating on knives. Uh, he was rude to his friends and he needed to be an adult and just and deal with that, deal with life. But uh, he like he needed to go find a job and just focus on himself and yeah, a place to live. Like, yeah. He was a mooch. He was a goddamn he, mooch. He was a mooch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, I mean, we all know those those friends that that you have when when you talk to them, all they want to do is follow up with a story about themselves. So I could be like, oh, Justin, this is what's going on. You'd be like, oh, yeah, man, I mean, at work, I'm getting dogged all the time by this. And it's like, hey, can we talk about my problem first? And I think Scott does that a lot with his band where he keeps putting his life before the band um, in the certain sense of they're trying to talk about what's important as a group. And he just keeps bringing up like his ex or, Oh, what knives did or what Ramona is. And and you can tell the band is pissed with it. But um, I think, I think Michael Sarah as a character did, he nailed this uh, just because of his, his personality. So. That's what I love about you, Kate. You got a personality. personality. <laughs> uh, so then a follow up question to that is, uh, you know, Scott doesn't really follow the typical Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, yet his story uses that formula or it tries to at least. Um, Scott doesn't grow much from his fights with the exes, so he doesn't really learn anything from the fights with the exes. And he doesn't start at the at a ground level. Right. So he doesn't have a training fight. He just knows how to fight for some weird reason. His character barely takes punishment and is already proficient in combat. Usually for heroes journeys, we see a character grow through each challenge. Did, did this make you dislike or like Scott more that he kind of just was there and knew everything? Um, I was, I was indifferent to be honest with you. Cause I, I feel like it was weird that all of these exes knew how to fight as it was. Um, so I just took it as sort of that. That's just the setting. Like, all of these people are are master martial artists. <laughs> so I was cool with it. 
you got teleporting, you got leaping really high. There's all <laughs> kinds of weird shit going on. So yeah. um, it, it, it had a, a sort of magical sense to it to where it, it didn't even cross my mind. Like, how does he know how to fight all of a sudden? Um, I just, it just all made sense to me. Right. Well, and this, and this film fit, uh, it, it definitely felt like it started in the middle of a book and then it kind of ended in the middle. We didn't get a beginning, middle and end. We were just constantly in the middle. So I was okay with it as well. Um, but I, I do think at times it was, uh, it, it was interesting because I could see what they were going with for your hero's journey, but I'm like, man, he doesn't really accomplish much. And I wonder how much he's actually really learned through all of this. And he gets the girl at the end. So, right. so yeah, I yeah. don't think, I don't think the struggle was learning how to fight so he could take down Gideon it was just these are the challenges that are before you. Um, you know, you got to win. It wasn't a matter of I got to train for this fight to go the distance like Rocky or anything like that. He didn't even understand why he was fighting these people to begin with. <laughs> he was just yeah. kind of thrown in the mix. He's like, who, who are you? What's happening right now? Like he was so just oblivious. She explained to him like, yeah, you're going to have to take down my my seven evil exes. And he's like, what? What are you talking about? He was never... <laughs> on the same page. They weren't right. even reading the same book. He's like, this is so boring. <laughs> right. And I, I think that he's just, I don't know, for me, he's like the least likable character in this movie. Um, really? There are, Yeah, there are things that he does that are funny, but I mean, there's nothing likable about him for me. Uh, I like it when she says, like when Nyes is like, your hair's shaggy, and then two seconds later, he just, has the hat on like when it cuts to him like you know that's i just totally like a right moment right but i just think that shit like that is so funny oh me too i love yeah. it and and i feel like this movie was made for michael Sarah, but yes um you know and and i can't imagine another actor playing this role but um at the same time he is my least favorite character in this movie <laughs> who's your favorite character uh, probably his roommate, Wallace. Yeah, I like Wallace. Dude, that part when they're so the Battle of the Bands, when they're all looking at uh, different people and it goes really slow mo for everybody. So everyone has a gaze on something like Ramona gazes at uh, Matthew. Matthew gazes at, at Scott. Scott gazes up at Ramona. Uh, Wallace gazes at, at Anna Kendrick's boyfriend. <laughs> like, yeah, that was so funny. <laughs> And then, like um, when yeah. when Nice goes to tell the story of how she met Scott, and he's like, "Oh my god, we gotta play right now!" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> get really loud. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, it was. I thought that was really funny. So I'd say, yeah, Wallace is Wallace is probably up there just because he was hilarious, and Kieran Culkin is great. He's really great in Succession. Uh, if you've ever watched it, um, he's phenomenal in that show. But but yeah, um, I I laughed very hard at this movie. I think it's it's awesome. So what's your what's your letter grade for this, Justin? Uh, I'd probably give it a, a B plus. Ooh, B plus. Damn. Losers. Always B+ room plus for improvement. <laughs> I I give it an A. I really like it. I'll give it an A minus. I'll, I'll go down a little bit because I don't think it's his best movie. Edgar Wright's. But uh, I really like this movie a lot. It ain't no hot fuzz, but it's uh, it's up there. It's, it's a good one. So, um, yeah. Do you have anything else to add about it? I don't think so. I think I'm good. What was your favorite? Did you play a lot of like 8-bit video games at all growing up? Yeah. Yeah. What was, what, was Mario your favorite? Yeah. I w- so from like regular Nintendo, I mm-hmm. would say 
something like Super Mario Brothers or Dragon Warrior. Um, you know, those are pro- and Legend of Zelda, of course, uh, are probably my favorite Nintendo games. Uh, but like Super Mario World is my favorite Mario Brothers game. Okay. As someone that has a Mario and Bowser tattoo on their body, I I will commit to <laughs> Super Mario World as my favorite Mario Brothers game. There you go. <laughs> I like when Knives is like, what do you play to young Neil? And he's like, um, Zelda, Tetris. <laughs> That's kind of a big question. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I thought that was really good. So I uh, I don't remember playing as much Nintendo NES console as I because uh, I was a, I was a kid, so I don't remember a ton about it. But I remember playing a lot of yeah, Super Nintendo. You were born right, but I mean, I still had one and I played it. I just but I played a lot of uh, Super Nintendo and I played a lot of Nintendo sixty four and uh, Ocarina of Time is is like one of my favorite games of all time and I break that out probably every year I have a projector that I just project on my wall and I play it and I'm like listen yeah so I'm going left up right left oh man love it so much so well great man if that's it wait 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 no I got one more thing to say okay yeah please do so I was a a guest on the Adventures in Collecting podcast about two weeks ago and had a blast talking about uh, collecting toys and uh, the business side of things. I work for Bandai Namco Collectibles. And so it was great to just kind of uh, have a conversation with some two very passionate young men about toys and uh, the the business side of things and where to get these guys and and how it all works and the red tape that's involved and licensing. So uh, it's, it's a fun little show. And I think you should check it out. Adventures in Collecting Podcast. So give it a listen. Um, you can find it on your favorite podcast app. Sounds good. That's awesome. Uh, I imagine that um, collectors are going to be pretty busy this time of year because of all the deals, all the Black Fridays, all that kind of stuff. Is that accurate yeah. to say? Yeah, man. Black Friday started you know, like two months ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Everyone's just been going sense. crazy with all you look at all the different retailers, whether it be something like uh, Target or Wally World, Home Depot, Lowe's, whatever. Everyone's kind of trying to figure out what is the best Black Friday because uh, it's just too dangerous to go shopping and to have a bunch of people come in on one day or one weekend is just not in the cards. So a lot of them, a lot of retailers, excuse me, have just been celebrating black friday all month long kind of thing just to make it easier on everyone cool yeah it's um it is nice i've already snagged a couple black friday things i got like a flannel t-shirt pair of socks i don't know (laughs) that's about it there you go the practical stuff yeah the shit you need not the stuff you want (laughs) had some cake it's pretty good pretty good (laughs) once you get out of the snowy snow there and come on in (laughs) Yeah, now we're talking. Man, I watched that again. So that's become my go-to movie, which is so weird. I usually only watch up until uh, it cuts to like the Jim Croce sort of passage of time where they're out shooting in the snow. Yeah. Um, And that's usually when I cut it off. Uh, I get about, like it's about like the 45-minute mark, 47-minute mark is when they blow up Big Daddy. And uh, that's kind of where I just kind of tune out. And then skipping, skipping, skipping to... Uh, the scene where they arrive at Candyland. I, I 
I can't stand watching like the Mandingo fights and then yeah. the the build up to getting to Candyland and then the dogs attacking D'Artagnan. It's just too much for me. I can't do it. And so skipping, skipping, skipping to that. And then I finish it out. Yeah, dude. It's so fucking good. love Django. <laughs> that movie's so good. <laughs> it really is good. I enjoy it quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. Is that him? Yeah. Are you positive? No, no, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> You're not positive. I don't know what that means. It means are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> positive he did. Positive he did. <laughs> yeah. I like the Love way you it. die, boy. <laughs> Dude, and the soundtrack in that is so good. That movie is awesome. So good. It's amazing. Oh so Love it. Yeah, absolutely. So we got to. Yeah, that, that one would be hard to do just because we would just be creaming all over it. Like, oh I know. And so that's the thing. Like, like Edgar Wright is hard to do, too, because we both love him so much. So, yeah, maybe we should have done uh, The World's End because that's one we don't really like. <laughs> let's uh, let's put all our, our all our hatred towards Gabby Tron. We're going to write him an angry letter to our congressman. So, yeah, I mean, because I, it's fun talking about the stuff that we really like. Mm-hmm. But at some point. We have to find something that is a little bit of a struggle. Like, like The Exorcist was fun to talk about because we weren't God, into I it. hated that movie. It's <laughs> a movie that everyone loves, and we're like, I don't know about all that. Uh, it's not, it's not so good. Uh, and um, yeah. I think that that's funny. So maybe we should uh, explore something that's a little bit um, not good. Now I know next week we wanted to talk about Kingsman. Well, at least I did. I, I oh, fucking yeah. love that movie. I think that movie's so goddamn good. And so I don't know if you, if the listeners are are okay with us talking about how much a movie is awesome and why it's amazing, or if they would rather us uh, talk nonsense about a movie that's <laughs> not so good. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's nice though to talk about that kind of stuff because we're shedding light on different uh, different aspects of it. So, like for example, I for this movie, it it it, it it's very noteworthy that scott pilgrim is not the hero of the movie i think we we both have kind of agreed on that he's a dick and uh it's interesting that you said you actually think he's the least interesting person in this in this movie um i he's my least likable least likable i agree with you i think that he kind of walks around and even um what's your name julie is like scott you're always breaking these hearts and whatever so it just sounds like he's yeah, everything stacks up against him and he's he's not a good guy. So uh, I thought that was really interesting because it was something I really never gathered my first viewings. But um, I think Kingsman would be really fun to talk about just because of the style, the how it kind of changed action films, um, how Matthew Vaughn does his action films and how it brought back a dead spy genre, basically. So, um, yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another fun and festive episode of Don't Be Crazy. Oh my goodness, such a good time, and I'm so glad that you joined us. Uh, please, please, please be sure to follow us on the Twitter there, at PixelatedPod, at ZachDale60, and at EdgyArmo. There you can talk to us about motion picture shows and why we are crazy, or why we're just amazing because we love the same shit that you do. <laughs> and um, I'm excited about that. And so... With that, please check out the other podcasts that we have on our little network. Of course, there is the Geek Legacy Podcast, talking about everything under the geeky umbrella. Mostly Star Wars these days and some toys, but mostly Star Wars. <laughs> and uh, then you have the Pixelated Podcast, hosted by Stephen K. James, talking about the video game. 
and all the the game of the year announcements were just uh, released, so I can't wait to talk about that. Uh, what got snubbed, what made it, and what we think is going to win. I think that's all good stuff. So check it out. Until the next time, uh, you keep rocking and rolling, baby. Don't be crazy. Thank you so much. Thank you.